0: Turn to Philippians chapter 4 verse 9. We're going to be reading verses 9 through 19. And we're going to be talking about contentment today, contentment. Paul says that he's learned to be content in this passage. <clears throat> And if Paul is able to rejoice while he's in jail, it probably shouldn't be a surprise to us that he says he has learned how to be content no matter his circumstances. Right? Think about that. Rejoicing while you're in prison. There's there's not a lot of worse circumstances than being in prison, right? Right? And Paul is able to rejoice there. Rejoicing is even more than being content, isn't it? But really they go together closely. Contentment and rejoicing go together because when you are content, you have put your trust in God And there is nothing to do but to rejoice when we see what God has done for us. There is no way we can respond if we have contentment with anything else besides rejoicing in the Lord. And so contentment really is a prerequisite, it comes first, and it has its own importance, it has its its own, uh, it's its own thing, isn't it? It's different from rejoicing, being content. Now in this passage, Paul is thanking the church in Philippi for their support for their financial support. And it's clear that he means it. He really is thankful. He's very grateful that they sent Epaphroditus. He's grateful for the money that they gave him. But he also wants them to know that he is content and that mostly he's just happy for their sake That they are able to help him again. Now, that's that's really a model of contentment. When you receive a gift, that's often a test of your contentment. We don't really think of getting gifts as a time when our contentment is revealed or tested. But think of all the different ways that you can respond to somebody giving you a gift. Uh, You could respond like my cousin once responded at Christmas. Just what I didn't want. Right? Is that demonstrating contentment? Of course not. It's the opposite of contentment, right? Here you've been given a gift, and you respond with ingratitude. But how else can you respond? Oh, thanks. Setting it to the side, right? Also, ingratitude. Maybe. Uh, a self sufficiency that, that <clears throat> has no need for somebody else to give you anything. Paul responds here with thanksgiving and rejoicing because he has true contentment. Now let's read this passage, Philippians 4, 9-19. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So you might have a section break right there after this verse, because it moves on to now talking about Uh, contentment. So bear with me just for a second here. Why go back and read that previous verse? Well, because we need to remember that he's talking about peace, right? He's talking about the God of peace being with them. And contentment and peace are very closely related to each other. If you are truly content, You can be at peace. If you're not content, you will not be at peace. But it's more than that. It's the real reason I wanted to go back is because he says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things. And then what does he do? He demonstrates what he is like. He demonstrates his contentment. So he's calling us, he's calling them and us to live this way this contented way that he's living. So let's keep reading now. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Are you content like Paul? Are you content like Paul? What do we see of his contentment here? Not just a declaration of thanks and now I have everything I need. He certainly says, now I have everything I need. But he speaks of his contentment being much greater than that. Not simply at times when he has everything he needs, but particularly when he doesn't have a lot. Are you content like Paul? Now, This word "content," part of the part of the word is uh, "auto," self, and it's hard to it's hard to bring over into English the full range of meaning of any. Greek word and every time you you study a language and study translation you you translate the word the word is contentment it's easy to translate and yet you know that it leaves behind some of some of the meaning okay and so this is a this is a good reason for us to learn the biblical languages because there is so much there that simply uh is not able to be brought over in a simple translation okay but when you see uh when you see that the word auto is part of this you think of some english words that have auto in them like automobile right what does automobile mean kids what is an automobile a car yeah but there's it's auto and mobile right what is, what does auto and mobile mean if something's mobile it means that it what it moves yeah it moves and if it's auto mobile what does that mean that's right it moves all by itself What a great description of a car, right? It goes by itself. You don't have to push it. It pulls you along with it. It goes by itself. It's an automobile. So auto means self. So part of the meaning here is that Paul is... uh, Paul is self-sufficient. Now, like, that's a terrible translation, okay? Because that's that's very different from contentment. But that word "auto" is is part of the word, and you need to you need to realize that it has reference to to having everything in himself that he needs. So, um, so self-sufficient is a bad translation, but. Um, He has everything himself that he needs. Begins to show you that he is is lacking nothing. He doesn't need to go outside of what he has. He doesn't need to go outside of himself and what God has already given him to be happy, to be content. Now, the reason that I want us to pay attention to the, to the meaning of the word here is because there is, there is an awful lot about contentment that has to do with us in relation to others, us in relation to outside things. Okay? So, many of us look at ourselves and compare ourselves to other people. This is, a, this is a normal thing. You, you look at somebody. You look at the way that they dress. You look at the way that they look. You look at their strength, their mental strength, their physical strength. You look at how smart they are. And the first point of reference that we have to try to determine, you know, what is this person like is to compare them to ourselves, right? That's our first point of reference, how do they compare to me? What are they like compared to me? Are they smarter than me or are they not as smart as me? Are they dressed nicer than me or not as nice as me? Or do they have a, do they have more strength than me or are they weaker than me? Right? And so a lot of, uh, a lot of games are actually about figuring this out. Kids play games and, and figure out, you know, well, who's better at these things, and, and what do you do? You rank yourself. Well, that person came in first, they were good, and then there was second, and then there was third, and then, woe is me, I was last. Now, what's that right there? That is discontentment, right? That sort of tone of voice that woe-is-me attitude in comparing yourself with others is the opposite of being content. It is thinking that you are insufficient, that God has made you wrong, that God has not given you a good share of life, that God has been bad to you. That is discontentment at its core. It is a lack of gratitude to God. It is a thinking that He has not made you right. That He has not done right by you. That He has not given you enough. That He hasn't made you smart enough. That He hasn't made you strong enough. That He hasn't made you good looking enough. That He has not made you right And yet in 2 Corinthians 9 8, we read the Apostle Paul saying, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good, every good deed. You may have an abundance. For every good deed. Now, you saw that there was a sufficiency in there earlier. It's that same same word. You're seeing the same roots coming out as contentment. Sufficiency. What do you have? You have everything you need. Recognizing that you have everything you need from God is the start of contentment. You see, if you don't have everything you need from God, if God has indeed made a mistake, if He can't rightly expect you to do the good deeds that He has called you to do, if He is being unjust, if He is being a harsh taskmaster to give you one talent and then expect you, to work hard with it and turn it into two talents, then you are right to be discontent with it, to grumble about it, to complain about it, to bury it. But that is to be a wicked servant, isn't it? So contentment starts by recognizing God gave you everything you are God made you exactly the way you are. God made you that way and gives you everything you need to do the good deeds He's calling you to do. Now, that requires His grace to you, doesn't it? It requires Him to make you have a sufficiency Everything you need. Everything you need. Let me read that 2 Corinthians 9 8 again. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. See, I said it's going to require Him being gracious to you, giving you grace. What, What is that grace going to abound to do? Well... So that always having all sufficiency in everything. What part of your life do you not have enough grace? What part of your life has that grace not made your life sufficient for you? You understand? It's it's an entire sufficiency for everything in every part of your life. So that you may have an abundance for every good deed. For every good deed. Now what this, what this does is it, it changes your perspective on life from comparing yourself to everybody else to comparing yourself to what you want, all right? And it reorients you to having your first and foremost goal be the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, right? Right? If you're seeking that, if that is your number one goal in life, instead of all of the other things that you want to be added to you, right? All those other things are the things that we are discontent about all the time. You seek all of those things instead of seeking the kingdom because you're discontent. But if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that means your concern is not that all these things be up to this level or that level or comparing yourself to everybody else, but instead it means that your concern is doing the good deeds that he has given ahead of time for you to do. And as long as you're able to do the good deeds that he has given you to do, You're able to rejoice because you are content. You see how contentment has to do with rejoicing? You see how it it connects to that sufficiency that God has given you everything you need. He's not holding it back from you. It's all in you already. If he has given you his grace, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. And if you have everything you need to seek His kingdom, to do those good deeds, then what do you do? You do them! Right? And you rejoice because you begin to see the fruit of contentment. You begin to see the fruit of those good deeds. You begin to see the fruit of his grace in you. Of him being all sufficient. All sufficient. And that ultimately is where we must begin and end, is recognizing that it is God who is sufficient. It is God who has made us and given us everything that we need. We are not sufficient for these things, are we? We, What man is sufficient in himself for the good deeds that God has called us to? No man is. And yet the moment that God pours his grace out on us, we have everything we need in us. In us. That's the auto part, the self part. It is in you already. That sufficiency in everything. Now that means the things that Paul describes in our passage in Philippians that are on opposite sides of the spectrum. Bad circumstances and good circumstances is basically what it comes down to, right? That means that God has given him what is required. He has been sufficient for Paul all across the spectrum of what life can be like. Okay, so let's, let's look at some of the things that he describes on the bad end of the spectrum. First he says, humble means. Now, kids, that's kind of a hard little phrase, humble means. So what, what does that mean? we're going to have to go older than 5 i think for this one kids can can go up to 19 this time all right what does humble means mean anybody you answered the last one <laughs> we we can go higher we can go to 35 kids 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 younger than 35 <laughs> What does humble means mean? It's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yes. No, good guess. Humble means are, uh, humble, you can, you can say low, and means are, uh, are your physical Circumstances in life. So, a man of high means is a man that has a lot of what? What? Things, exactly. A lot of money. If you're reading uh, Pride and Prejudice, you know that the question of whether somebody is of humble means or of great, majestic, magnificent means, makes a big difference in how attractive that man is to the women who want to get married in those books, right? How much money do you have? That's your means. How much money do you have coming to you every year? Your salary or your income? That is your means. So when Paul speaks of being, having humble means, it means that, does that mean that he has a lot of money or a little bit of money? Yeah. Just a little, that's right. Humble means. Means that you don't have a lot. So this is one of the things that Paul says he is content in. He is content when he has humble means. Now, if you have a little bit of money, as Ben pointed out for us, then does that mean that you are able to buy a nice house? No. No, you can't get a big, nice house. If you have humble means, are you able to... Drive a really nice car? No. No, you have humble means. And so, are you able to dress in fine clothes? No. Nope. No, nope, you're not allowed, you're not able to dress in fine clothes if you have humble means. And so, the reason humble is a really good word to use there is because all of the things that you have. Everything that everybody else sees about you, it shows itself. Your, your, your humility of means, your humbleness of means shows itself because you can't wear nice clothes. You can't live in a nice neighborhood, you can't drive a nice car, and so instead of all of those nice things, you're going to have things that are not as nice. Humble means is going to show itself with all across your life there being consequences of you not being able to have the nice things that many other people have. And this is one of the places where Paul says he has contentment. What else does he, on the bad side of the spectrum, speak of contentment in? Well, being hungry. Now we've moved to a whole new level, haven't we? Not just not having a lot of money, but not even having enough money to keep yourself and your belly full, right? He also describes it as suffering need. So when he is suffering need, when he is going hungry... And yes, when he has humble means, Paul has learned the secret of contentment. Now, normally, when we think of contentment, that's not the level at which we are thinking of contentment. And the reason is because we're normally thinking of contentment in our own circumstances, and most of us are not hungry. Right? Most of us are not wondering whether we're going to get a meal today or not. And so we don't normally think of contentment at that level. If you think that you are content, ask yourself if you have the secret of contentment that allows you to live in those bad circumstances, that bad low end of the spectrum In physical well being, okay, are you able to live contentedly in those times? Or do you think that you're content because right now, with what you have, you're happy? You see the difference, right? Paul takes it much further than we want to, because we don't want to think about having to be content at that level. But there's this odd little thing. Paul does not only speak of contentment with little. He also speaks of the necessity and the secret of contentment with much. And this, I think, is much more applicable to us in general because we have much. We are not of humble means in this church. Even those of us who are of humbler means in this body are not of humble means. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, we can compare ourselves to each other and see where on any spectrum, whether of health or of money or of... Uh, <clears throat> intelligence, however you want to compare yourself on a spectrum. We could compare ourselves in this body, and we could line up by skin tone, right? From, from lightest to darkest, and we could compare that. And, and we could talk about whether we're content with any of these things. But all in all, we are people of high means, Plenty across almost any category that you would care to categorize people. What does Paul use to describe that? He calls it prosperity, being filled, and abundance. Now, if you have an abundance of food, for example, what does that mean? Means you have more than you know what to do with, right? Put all the food on the table and you look around, and you're like, you know what? We're not going to be able to eat all this. We have an abundance. That's good news, right? Nobody's gonna go hungry. He also describes it later on after receiving the gift as being amply supplied. <clears throat> And yet, it's clear that he thinks that there is the ability for us to be discontent in spite of all of that. Now, who can testify to being discontent as a possibility in spite of having prosperity, abundance, being amply supplied? Anybody? Anybody know what it means what it looks like to be discontent in spite of all of that. We know it, don't we? And so, isn't it interesting how we think that the solution to our discontentment is simply to get more. Right? We think that that's the secret. The secret is not having more. Because Paul still needs to learn the secret of contentment not just when there's a little, but he needs to learn the secret of contentment when there's a lot. There is no end to the lust of the eyes. And once you have a taste for something nice, do you recognize that saying? Having a, having a taste for something nice? Like, you might like chocolate. You may have had Hershey's chocolate bars before. I, I remember growing up as a kid having Hershey, Hershey's chocolate bars and thinking, I like chocolate. And then one day, oh boy, I'll tell you what, at Christmas time, we got these chocolate oranges that came in little slices in foil. And I learned how good chocolate could be. And I had a taste for something nice. And no longer was Hershey's chocolate of any interest to me. I wanted the orange or the raspberry chocolate, dark chocolate. Oh, it was delicious stuff. And I I had come to have a taste for something nice. And all of a sudden, I had been content with humble means in chocolate. But now, having tasted good chocolate, now I was discontent. Isn't that weird? I got more and suddenly I was discontent. You guys recognize that in yourselves? You get a taste for something nice, and all of a sudden, then you fall into being discontent. Because it's like, oh, man, you know, I had no idea. Now, now, what other good, even better kinds of chocolate can I get? And where can I get them? And how much is it going to cost me? We do this with cars, with houses, with foods, with drinks. You know? Bud Light is fine for for an awful lot of people. They sell a lot of it. And what about you? You know? Looking down your nose, buying your single malt scotch or your craft beer. I mean you you understand like we get a taste for fine things and all of a sudden it's like oh I I need I need these so with our food, with our clothing, with our drinks, with our cars, with our houses. All of these things with our computers, With our phones, with our friends, with our jobs, with our intelligence, with our strength, with our health, with our children, our husbands. And so you see, you remember the Ten Commandments, and you remember that the Second Commandment is really long, What's the second longest commandment? Anybody know? You shall not covet. And why is it so long? Because it just starts listing all the things that you can covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or his wife or his manservant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor, right? Right? Though all of these things, contentment is the opposite of coveting. You cannot be content and covet. If you are content, you will not covet. If you are discontent, you are automatically coveting. If you are discontent, you are looking at something else that somebody else has and saying, I want that. God, give me that. Why didn't you give me that? I deserve that. And so this secret of contentment that Paul has learned, contentment in any circumstance... Right? It is a very difficult thing. And it's precisely at this point that we have this famous verse that nobody ever knows anything about the context for, which is 413, Philippians 413. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is he talking about? He's talking about being content. That's the all things that he can do through Christ who strengthens him. We think we think of all sorts of ways that we we can that we you have heard that and you have applied that verse. I can do all things who, through him who strengthens me. And listen, it is broadly applicable. It's there's nothing wrong with applying it broadly. But let's remember the context. The the miraculous power of God to allow him to do all things is a particular good deed. And that good deed is contentment, no matter the circumstances. And so it does not come automatically. Contentment is something that has to be learned. Are you learning contentment? Are you learning contentment in what you have been given? The particular circumstances, the particular means, the particular body, the particular brain, the particular health, the particular house, your particular life, what you have been given, are you learning contentment? Is God giving you strength to be content in that? This requires the strength of God in us. In Hebrews 13.5 we read, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. But it doesn't stop there. He continues and says, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So we're going all the way back to the beginning of the sermon again and we're realizing that having God means being content. Having God means being content. And so it is not about the things that you do or don't have. It is about having God. If he will never desert you, if he will never forsake you, then what does that mean? Why would that be a a powerful thing to say right next to, make sure that you're free from the love of money? Be content with what you have. It's powerful because he is all we need. He is all that we need. It is only through his provision that we have anything, Right? The cattle on a thousand hills are his, right? It's also only through his love that we're provided with everything that we need. But most of all, if he is with us, we have the one thing that we need. We are content because we have the pearl of great price. You guys ever, you remember those, Jesus is giving parables and he talks about going after the pearl, right? And the person sells everything they have and they buy the pearl, right? Does that ever strike you as a really odd thing to do? Like, great, now you've got a pearl, Don't you need more than that? Don't you need food? Don't you need clothing? You know, you sold everything and now you've got a pearl. Okay. Well, if that's your obsession, if that's the one thing you want in life, then no, you don't care. You don't worry about all that other stuff. Like, No, I got it. I got the thing. You can see the smile, right? Look. If, if we're thinking in the physical world, in, in the earthly sense, you know, we're, we're going to look at them and be like, great, now what are you going to do? But when we have the pearl of great price, we are content because we have all that we need. We have our God. He is with us. He will never forsake us. And so we are content. That's the secret. That's what Paul has learned. Even though he has a thorn in the flesh. Right? And even though he prayed that God would take it away from him, God said, my grace is sufficient. And so Paul has learned contentment. Let us learn to be content with him because we have our God. Let's pray.